Welcome to the weekly sermons and studies podcast at First Baptist. Today's speaker is our senior pastor, Dr. Jeff Reynolds. Let's pray together. Father, we love you. And Lord, we recognize that for those of us who trust and follow Jesus, those who have received Christ as Lord and Savior, that your light shines in us. And just as we prayed for Ethan this morning, so we pray for ourselves. So we pray for every student and teacher who will go back to school this week. So we pray for every believer that the light of Christ would shine so brightly and so clearly through us that every person we meet would understand that there is a God in the heavens who loves them. And Lord, who so desires to be in relationship with them that you sent your only begotten Son that whosoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. In the context of that everlasting life this morning, Lord, we come to your word believing that it is unequivocally true. And we pray that now by your Holy Spirit, you would take your word and appropriate it in our lives right where we need it. You know every hair on our head. You know everything there is to know about us. So, Lord, speak to our hearts so that when we leave this experience in just a few minutes, we leave different, more like Jesus, for it's in His precious and holy name that we pray. Amen. Well, First Baptist Church, we try to be a place where faith and life meet. You know, if we're going to be here at the corner of 12th and Chestnut, we want to be at the intersection of faith and life because that's what faith is supposed to be. Faith is not supposed to be a theory to be espoused or even a theology to be believed. It's supposed to be the bedrock of who we are. I think one of the most powerful things that I can ever say about anyone in their memorial service is that for this person, his or her faith was not simply an idea to which they subscribed, but rather their faith was the bedrock of their lives, that upon which they built their identity, that upon which they based their relationships, they embraced their vocation, they did everything. I hope that one day somebody can say that about me, not that, not that he preached on Sunday morning, but that every moment of his life was saturated with the presence of the Holy Spirit because his faith was for him more than just an idea. And that's what we want to be about here at First Baptist Church, where faith and life meet. Well, for the next several months, we are going to dwell at the intersection of real faith and real life by working our way verse by verse through the letter of James. So I want to invite you to go ahead and open to James. If you're in the room in the Red Pew Bible in front of you, that is page 1011. And for the next several months, we are going to walk verse by verse through this letter, and we're going to, we're going to hear God's voice. And I'm going to tell you something. James is not hard to understand. There are some passages in the Bible, they're hard to understand. James is very clear. In fact, for me, sometimes James is a little bit too clear. So I just want to warn you, as we travel through James this fall, God is going to step on your toes. Don't blame the preacher, all right? I just put the box on your front stoop. You're ordering it by coming and listening to God's Word, all right? I'm just a delivery, all right? But God is going to stretch us all because James is at the intersection of real faith and real life. Why does that matter for us? Well, here's why. A lot of times we think that salvation is the goal of the Christian faith, that what we just celebrated with Ethan is the goal. That's the finish line. That's where we want to get. 
I need to get saved and then I'm good. But did you know that that's not true at all? No, what we just celebrated with Ethan is the starting line, not the finish line. That's where we begin. We begin our journey with Jesus by trusting Him, following Him, receiving Him as our personal Lord and Savior. The first step of obedience is then to step into the waters of baptism and say that Jesus is my personal Lord and Savior. That's what Ethan did. He just took his first few steps out of the starting box. But the goal is maturity in Christ. So listen, if you're not saved, you need to get saved. You go to hell without getting saved. You're eternally separated from the goodness and love of God in hell by not being saved. So if you're not saved, you got to take that step. But once you've given your life to Christ, that's not the end. You take the next subsequent step because the goal is that we would be mature in Christ. And that's all throughout the Scriptures, Colossians 1.28. Paul says, Jesus we proclaim, warning everyone and teaching everyone with all wisdom that we may present everyone mature in Christ. In Ephesians chapter 4, the Apostle Paul tells us that God has given apostles and prophets and evangelists and shepherds and teachers to equip the saints for the work of the ministry, for building up the body of Christ, listen to this, until we all attain to the unity of the faith and the knowledge of the Son of God, to mature manhood, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ, so that we may no longer be children tossed to and fro by the waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning, by craftiness and deceitful schemes, but rather speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in every way into Him who is the head, into Christ. So once we give our lives to Christ, God grows us. He grows us up. And in fact, the author of Hebrews um, had some, some admonition for those who were reading the letter. He said to them in Hebrews 5 verses 12 through 14, for though by this time you ought to be teachers… You need someone to teach you, again, the basic principles of the oracles of God. You need milk, not solid food. For everyone who lives on milk is unskilled in the word of righteousness since he is a child. But solid food is for the mature, for those who have their powers of discernment trained by constant practice to distinguish good from evil. Now, there's a difference between a baby and a grown-up. We just saw it. You know, Rick… I bet you had not cooked Baker a steak yet, have you? It's coming. But right now, Baker needs milk, right? But for those who have grown up, well, they didn't have a steak or whatever it is you like. There's milk and there's solid food. And one of the difficulties of the church right now, not just our church, every church, is that so many people think they crossed the finish line when they got saved and they didn't realize the race just began. So we want to grow up. And that's what James is going to help us do. He's going to help us grow up in Christ. So the theme for the message today is this. By faith, we grow in maturity. By faith, we grow in maturity. And what we're going to see today is that God doesn't waste anything. Specifically, and you're going to see, James, James, you know, Starts off right off the bat. I mean, he goes for the difficult stuff right away. But listen, God doesn't waste anything. And anything means anything. He actively works all things together for good to those who love him and who are called according to his purpose. I didn't make that up. That's Romans 8, 28. God doesn't waste anything. So you're thinking about the circumstances of your life, the, the mountaintops and the valleys, the joys and the sorrows and everything in between. God won't waste anything 
any of it. Let me read to us verses 1 through 4, and then we're going to kind of go verse by verse through this. James writes as he's carried along by the Holy Spirit saying this, James, a servant of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ, to the twelve tribes in the dispersion, greetings. Count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds, for you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness. And let steadfastness have its full effect, that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. Our first point today comes from verse 1, and it is this, by faith we serve Jesus. By faith we serve Jesus. James identifies himself here at the outset of his letter, saying that he is a servant of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ, and then he identifies those to whom the letter is being written. Specifically in this case, the 12 tribes and the dispersion, those Jewish Christians who have come to Christ. They are Christians, and they've been dispersed all throughout the world. But I want you to notice what James says about himself, a servant of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ. James didn't start there. You may not know this, but James is Jesus' little brother. Sure enough. Did you know that Jesus had siblings? A lot of times we don't even think about the fact that Jesus had siblings, but in Matthew chapter 13, we learn that Jesus' brothers are James and Joseph and Simon and Judas, and he also had sisters. Can you imagine what it was like to grow up with Jesus as your older brother? Can you imagine how annoying that must have been? Surely Mary and Joseph at some point said, why can't you be like your older brother? He gets it all right. I had somebody come to my office one time, this is not here, 20 years ago, and said, wouldn't it have been awful to be James Christ? Now, that's not how that works, all right? Christ is not Jesus' last name. It wasn't Joseph Christ and Mary Christ and James. That's not it. Uh, That was not their surname. No, Christ is Jesus' title. It is Messiah, anointed one. But I got what, what the guy was saying. How awful would it have been to try to walk in Jesus's footsteps to try to live up to Jesus. Talk about sibling rivalry. And he never did anything wrong. Wouldn't that be so sickening? Oh yeah, Jesus always does what mom says. Jesus's room is always clean. Jesus is always everywhere on time. Getting Jesus up to go to school was no big deal. But James and Simon were heathens, right? So you just, it had to have been tough. A lot of times we don't think about the fact that Jesus had brothers and sisters, but he did. He was the firstborn. and uh, different dad, but they were brothers and sisters in the same house. And, and here's the thing that we learn in John chapter 7. His brothers struggled to believe in him. Listen to this, John 7 verses 2 through 5. Now the Jews' feast of booths was at hand, so his brothers said to him, leave here and go to Judea that your disciples also may see the works you're doing. For no one works in secret if he seeks to be known openly. If you do these things, show yourself to the world. For not even his brothers believed in him. How about that? The Messiah of God is in your house. And instead of believing him, trusting him, and following him, you mock him. You scoff at him. Oh, you're trying to build a ministry. Well, you better go get it done in public. That's what they do. James didn't believe in Jesus. When Jesus died on the cross, do you remember that Mary was there? And somebody else was there. And it wasn't James, Jesus' little brother. It was the Apostle John. That was the one to whom Jesus said, 
behold your mother and behold your son. Jesus' brothers weren't even there at his cross. He couldn't say, hey, James, hey, Simon, hey, Jude. Maybe that's where the Beatles got the song. I don't know. Just make sure you're still awake. But at the cross, he couldn't look to his brothers and say, take care of mom. He had to look to one of his disciples to say, take care of mom, because his brothers were nowhere to be found. And yet now, James, and remember, this is not the same James who was the brother of John. This is not the sons of thunder. This is James, the brother of Jesus. Now James is going to write to us. He's going to instruct us. He became a leader of the church at Jerusalem. The apostle Paul went to consult with James not long after his own conversion. James was instrumental in the first church council where they decided that Gentile believers who came to Christ didn't have to be circumcised to do so. James was instrumental in the church. He was there when Paul came back after his third missionary journey and Paul consulted with James. James ended up, according to Josephus, the Jewish historian, giving his life for the testimony of Christ. He was stoned, it is believed, in 62 AD. So how do you go from scoffing at Jesus and not believing him to becoming a leader in the church, writing this letter, and giving your life for him. Because you say that you are now the doulos, the servant. That word can also be translated as bondservant or slave of Jesus Christ. Well, we get a a clue in 1 Corinthians chapter 15 verses 3 through 7, as the Apostle Paul lays out the gospel. But listen, he says this, For I delivered to you as of first importance what I also received, that Christ died for our sins in accordance with the Scriptures, that he was buried and that he was raised on the third day in accordance with the Scriptures, and that he appeared to Cephas, then to the twelve, then he appeared to more than 500 brothers at one time, most of whom are still alive, though some have fallen asleep. Then he appeared to James, then to all the apostles." What happened to James? He scoffed at his brother. He mocked his brother. He didn't believe his brother, but then he encountered the risen Jesus. He saw his brother alive after he had been killed, and everything changed. So when you encounter the risen Jesus, it doesn't matter what your past has been, you come to Christ. Can I ask you, what's your relationship with Jesus this morning? Are you a scoffer and a mocker? Are you here because your boyfriend or girlfriend said, you got to come to church because my dad will get mad if you don't? Are you tuning in because you're at your grandma's house and she's watching church this morning and you're stuck there, you got to be there? What do you do with Jesus? Well, can I tell you that once you encounter the risen Christ, and he's here among us, his Holy Spirit is here, everything changes. Just ask James. So today, if you're a mocker and a scoffer, God can get to you too. Maybe, just maybe, he's doing that right now through the testimony of James the Just, the brother of Jesus, who came to faith and called himself the servant of Jesus. So, by faith, we serve Jesus. But then James continues, saying in verses 2 and 3, "'Count it all joy, my brothers,' When you meet trials of various kinds, 
For you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness. Now, again, I told you that James is not hard to understand, but it is deeply challenging to live. In fact, you cannot live it apart from the Holy Spirit. How in the world are you supposed to count it all joy whenever you face trials of various kinds? Well, our second point today is this. By faith, we embrace an eternal perspective. By faith, we embrace an eternal perspective. How do I count it all joy whenever I meet trials of various kinds? If you've lived long enough, you've met trials of various kinds. If you continue to live longer, you will meet trials of various kinds. Don't be deceived. Life gets hard for everybody. There is no such thing as an easy life. I've seen people who have more money than any of us can fathom, and I've seen people who couldn't get by on anything. They had nothing and everything in between. Life gets hard for everybody. We have different problems, but we all have problems. So how in the world do we count it all joy? How do we consider it pure joy whenever we face trials of various kinds? Well, here's a clue. After the comma is the word for. For. That means there's some intentionality. There's, some, there's something being done. It's not arbitrary. It's not meaningless that God will use it. And the word for tells us that we're getting ready to find out how God will use it. Count it all joy when you meet trials of various kinds. Listen, for you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness that it is through the testing of our faith in trials that God gives us a gift. And that gift is steadfastness. The word can also be translated as perseverance or patient endurance. Through the trials, God teaches us steadfastness. The Oxford Dictionary describes it as being the quality of being resolutely or dutifully firm and unwavering. And it's a gift from God, and it comes through difficulty. Every Tuesday night at CR, we recite the serenity prayer. And there's the first part of it, God grant me the serenity to accept the things I cannot change, the courage to change the things I can, and the wisdom to know the difference. But there's more to the prayer. And part of the more to the prayer that we recite here every Tuesday night is that we accept hardship as a pathway to peace. That we take this world as it is, not as we would have it, just as Jesus did, but we recognize that hardship is a pathway to peace. I was with Mike Jones in the hospital just the other day. We had a chance encounter, and I'm using air quotes because I don't believe in those. We had a providential appointment with my neighbor from, from growing up. And we got to pray with him and, and talk about what's going on in his life, and Mike shared with him that hardship is the pathway to peace. And that's what James is teaching us, that God doesn't waste anything, and through our difficulties, He is giving us the gift of steadfastness. He is giving us the ability to patiently endure. He's giving us the ability to persevere. Why? Because we have an eternal perspective. That's the only way we can do that. That's the only way that we can continue on even after whatever we've gone through has been crushing because we realize that this world is not all that there is. 
We realize that one day Christ will return and he will renew all things. Theologically, that's called the palingenesia, the renewal of all things. He will make all things new. He will return to gather his church and to judge the world. So either you're going to be part of the church who has received Christ and you will be gathered unto him, or you have rejected Christ and you will be judged by him. And I'm going to tell you, there's no court of appeals in the throne room of heaven. But when he comes back, he's going to create a new heavens and a new earth. He's going to make all things new. And listen, in the new heavens and the new earth, there will be no more droughts. There will be no more floods. There will be no more tornadoes. There will be no more suffering. There will be no more sin. And there will be no more struggle. That's coming. But if you're in Christ, just as he makes the new heavens and the new earth, he's going to make you new. He's going to raise you and give you a resurrection body. And you're going to be with him forevermore. Listen, whatever it is you're facing right now does not have the final word in your life. Whether that's sin or dysfunction that you've had to live through or disease, some sort of diagnosis that you've been given, even the circumstances surrounding your death do not have the final word for you. If you're in Christ, Jesus has the final word for you. And his word for you is life, life eternal, life full, life abundant, life everlasting, life with him. And so because of that, when trials come, Recognizing that this world is not all there is, and only Jesus has the final word in my life, I can persevere. That's why Hebrews, in Hebrews 12, says, let us fix our eyes on Jesus and run with perseverance the race marked out for us. That's why it's one of my most favorite verses in the whole Bible, because there are so many times when I have to fix my eyes on Jesus, because everything going around me really stinks. You ever been there? So you look to Jesus and you take the next step. Because you have an eternal perspective that this world is not all there is. And whatever it is you're facing, it will not have the final word for you in Jesus Christ. No, he will. And his word for you is life by his grace alone. So, if you're in Christ, the system is rigged in your favor. Do you know that? It's going to be all right. Most doctors won't tell you it's going to be all right. They don't want you to sue them. You know what I can tell you? If you're in Christ, it's going to be all right. Now, if you're not in Christ, it's going to be hell. And I'm not cussing. I'm telling you the truth. But if you're in Christ, it's going to be all right. Incidentally, if you're not in Christ, Jesus' arms are open to receive you. Just come to him just like Ethan did. Jesus, I'm a sinner, but I believe you're the Savior. Come into my life. Forgive me of my sin. I trust you and will follow you as my Lord and Savior. Billy Graham said famously, this is one of my favorite Billy Graham quotes, he said, I've read the last page of the Bible. It's all going to turn out all right. And Billy Graham knows that for sure now. He's not walking by faith anymore. He's with sight. He's with Ruth. He's with Jesus. It is well. So what does steadfastness, steadfastness do? Well, verse 4 tells us, And let steadfastness have its full effect, that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. Our third and final point today is this. By faith, we grow to completion. By faith, we grow to completion. We recognize God is taking us somewhere. Salvation's not the finish line, it's the starting line. Maturity in Christ is where God is taking us. That's the goal, that we would grow up 
And at the bottom of your notes, I've included Philippians chapter 1, verse 6. Paul said, I am sure of this, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Christ Jesus. It is the grace of God working in you, but listen to how he does that through steadfastness. He teaches us through trials how to persevere, how to patiently endure. One of my favorite things is to talk with older men and women who've seen a lot. There's people who've seen a lot right here in our midst. Did you know that's one of the gifts we have here? We've seen a lot. We have people in this room right now who have seen war up close and personal. People who've seen struggle, people who've seen disease and diagnosis, people who've seen death of, of close and beloved people. But when you talk to people who've been through a lot, there's something that's amazing to me about some of them. They're steady. They don't panic. At least not like I'm tempted to. Y'all ever get tempted to panic? People who've been through a lot, they don't panic. Why? That's not their first rodeo. They've seen this stuff before. There's a woman who films her grandmother, and the grandmother's name is Esther Walker. And a few years ago, a video came out that's got like 27,500 views on YouTube. And it's this woman named Esther Walker whose advice to her children and grandchildren is this, when they're facing struggles, just go quietly on. And I don't know how old Miss Esther is. She's older than me, and I'm not a fool and going to guess right here on TV. But uh, she says this, we live in a very noisy world, and as the storm rages, we don't know what to do. But when we belong to the Lord, He holds our hand, and He goes with us, and we're not alone. And so whatever's going on, the storm blasting, we just go quietly on because He holds our hand and we don't have to be scared of anything. There's a wonderful peace, she says, that comes when the Lord Jesus lives in our heart. People try to find peace in this world, but you can't find it. No matter what you do or where you look or how fast you run, there'll never be peace and quietness. He, Jesus, is the only one who gives us peace. So when the storms of life come, her advice to us is just go quietly on. The Lord goes before you. The Lord is behind you. The Lord is within you. There's so much about this world that you can't control, but God is God and He's with us. And so occasionally, we accept hardship as a pathway to peace because the hardship comes. But we recognize that God doesn't waste anything. And if He doesn't waste anything, then He won't waste this either. He will work it together for my good. That doesn't mean it doesn't hurt. That doesn't mean it isn't hard. That doesn't mean I don't shed tears. But the Bible tells me He keeps all my tears in a bottle. He knows them all. And He's with me. And he won't leave me. And he won't forsake me. He has me in his hand. And nothing and no one can snatch me away from him, both now and forevermore. So I can go quietly on. Because through it all, I've learned to trust him. He's growing me to maturity. Is that the case for you this morning?
If you've never come to Christ, come to Christ. That's step one. If you've never been baptized, be baptized. That's step two. But would you pray this prayer as a believer in Jesus, Lord, grow me through it all to maturity in Christ that I might be steadfast, patiently enduring the evil days until I can rest in the eternal reward you provide. Would you pray with me? Father, we love you. And we thank you that by your grace we can have this eternal perspective. By your grace we can rest knowing that even when the trials come they do not have the final word for us. You do. And so may we rest in you. May we look to you. May we walk by faith. And may we know that in the end it will all be all right. Thank you for listening, and we hope you'll join us next time. We'd love to connect with you. Just email connect at firstbaptistbg.org or call 270-842-0331.